Welcome to the Matt for their show. Today I've got two special guests, and I wish I could be talking to them on a more of a positive note, but I am very protective of my history and my own reputation, and I'm very protective of my friends. And as you're all aware, I spent a lot of time with the late superstar Michael Jackson as his personal bodyguard, and as a friend too. Bodyguard first from around about 99 to 2004. I was never on the payroll, but I did it because I like the guy and we have mutual friends in common. He was probably the most caring man I've ever met. He was good friends of my family. He was um, wonderful to my children and uh, even to my mother who passed away sadly in 2012. She had breast cancer and when he heard about it, he made the effort to give her a call pretty much whenever he could all around the world. And we're such a caring guy. And I think we've all just got a bit tired of, of hearing negative stuff about uh, our friends. So this podcast I wouldn't normally use for talking about uh, anything to do with Michael. Me giving interviews about Michael, I kind of hoped would stop now, 12 years pretty much after we lost him. Um, but clearly this needs to be talked about, about what's going on here. I thought the negative documentaries would have stopped with Leaving Neverland, which rocked the whole world, literally. Um, I think people have seen through that one though now. But I've got two special guests here now who uh, who took part in the documentary Michael Jackson's Zoo. And I just want to add, before, why I feel that I'm, I kind of um, want to interview these gentlemen is that I was almost talked into taking part in this documentary myself by a production company, um, a gentleman called Harry. And I have the Texas on my phone to prove it, as does Rob. I know he's got messages too. But I get messages all the time about taking part. Can you take part in a Michael Jackson documentary and so on? I don't really want to do that anymore. But this guy was persistent. This producer, producer was really onto my case about this would be very positive for Michael. I can assure you, this will be incredible. His love of animals, how caring he was as a person. Uh, I just, you know, sat back and thought, I don't buy this. How can you make a someone as someone who's been to Neverland and seen the zoo? It's not like a big Californian zoo type thing. It was his own personal collection. It was nothing like that was made out. And I did say to him at times, "How you do realize it's not like a massive, huge zoo." that we're talking about. I don't know how you can make a program out of this. What's the story? What's the angle? I'm very suspicious. And the other thing that made me suspicious too is that it's prime time. And to be prime time on TV, on the biggest channel in England, ITV, is special. And you have to have an angle to sell your documentary into something like ITV and get them to fund it and fly. They wanted to fly me to Neverland. They wanted to fly Mark Lester, Michael Jackson's uh, best friend. He played Oliver Twist in the original movie. To Neverland, and me and Mark, Mark spoke, and we thought there's something not right here. You know, we, we would love to go back to Neverland, but we're not Michael not being alive then. Well, that might be a bit strange, but to talk about his zoo is just like a minor part of the whole the whole thing. Just didn't didn't add up with us. So I declined to take part in the program because I asked Harry, some, who's the producer, producer, some tough questions about edit copy. Rob was being promised all sorts. Edit, quote, copy about uh, all kinds of different things. And I've been there before. In the Martin Bashir documentary, I was only, I was one of other person was with me. Um, the two other people were with me when Michael was getting pitched by Martin Bashir 
to take part in the ITV documentary Living with Michael Jackson, which turned out to be dis disastrous for Michael. And when he pitched Michael, it was, this is going to be the greatest thing ever for you, Michael. This is, we're going to clear up all the rumors about your life. We're going to focus on the, your music. And we're not going to fo focus film your children, because that was a concern of him. I don't want my children to be filmed. I want to have a private life. And, it, and he got out a note from Princess Diana, which has been well talked about now. Back then, no one would believe me. But it's, now it's come out in the public. And it was handwritten notes thanking Princess Diana, because he did a documentary on Princess Diana a long time ago in the, in the 90s. And it turned Diana's image around. It, and it's thanking Martin Bashir, says, you know, in a nutshell, saying, thank you for everything you've done for me. Um, you kept your word, you're wonderful. Now, Michael was friends with Princess Diana. So when, when he was handed that note from Martin Bashir when I was in this meeting at the Renaissance Hotel, it was on a Wednesday afternoon in London in 2000, so I remember very clearly, he was sold. And there were three people pitching for the documentary. Sir David Frost, a guy called Louis Farouk, and Martin Bashir. But of course, he wanted Martin Bashir because he wanted the Princess Diana guy. And we know now, because the case has been lost by 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 um, against Martin Bashir, and his name is mud around the world here, that there was some manipulation that went on there to get people to take part. So that's why I said to the guy, before I take part in this, I want ITV to apologize and Bashir for what they did to Michael Jackson, because it's just been found out. The timing was wrong. Just been found out that everything was wrong about the Princess Diana one. And I wanted them to investigate Michael Jackson because I knew it was wrong. And we tried to work with Michael to get statements given to try and get the program stopped, having something called an injunction against the program. And I gave my evidence to a, a lawyer. I still remember her name. She's called Michelle Boots. Um, she's based in London. But unfortunately, something happened legally. Either we never had enough time or Michael may have signed something. I can't quite remember. And the program went, went out and it devastated Michael. You know, he was in Miami. And he was waiting for a proof copy to be delivered by VHS by Martin Bashir. Ma Martin never turned up. And he was calling me, he was calling Yuri Geller, and then his assistant got involved, and a panic went on. And they realized then that the documentary wasn't going to be like we thought. I mean, I was only in my 20s, young 20s back then. So I walked out of that room along with the other two people who were present, thinking he's just going, Michael's just going to wrap this guy in legal agreements and lawyers now because he's the most powerful man in the world. I didn't know how it all worked back then. I understand media now. But it turned out that that didn't take place, and that was devastating. I didn't think this would happen, if I'm honest with you. I thought this documentary would never come to light. And sadly, Rob was trying to do something positive for his, his friend, his late friend, and um, it's kind of backfired. And Larry, I know you were trying to do something positive. For, you had the evidence there. You've been to Neverland in 2005. Of, of what was there and what was true and what was not true. And it came a bit of a shock in the last few days. Uh, obviously, we've been privy to some information that they've said, oh, by the way, it was going to be positive, but because of this, this and this, now we have to go against our word in a nutshell. Um, which is, I don't, now, we don't know how much Ross Kemp knows about this, by the way, as it stands. We've got no idea. Oddly enough, he's due to present me with an award next month, uh, an event, for what I believe. Now, I'm not going to go to that event now if this documentary turns out to be the way it's being described, um, which I, which I, which is my initial suspicion, that uh, it seems that the narrative seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, that Michael Jackson abused his animals and neglected them. That's the, that seems to be the narrative of the programme. Not a positive Michael Jackson cares about his animals and, and they've cleverly twisted. So, Rob, shall we start with you on... Um, 
how you you got connected with this first and, and what you were told by Harry, the producer, and uh, and and also you're known as the man of the maker of the dreams. You put together Michael's vision of Neverland and you made this with Michael. You became very close friends with him. And, uh, you took no money from him whatsoever and um, were extremely loyal to him. And you wouldn't be with me now taking time out in your afternoon if that wasn't the case. So I appreciate you giving up your time. I know the fans will appreciate this honesty as well because for us to speak out against him it has to be something quite serious. And we're, we're very concerned about this, aren't we? So, yes. Rob, I'll hand it over to you. <clears throat> yes, I uh, started with Michael in June of 1990. And... Uh, uh, we had a wonderful relationship. Uh, all the people I associated with around Neverland, uh, I'm the only one who had wonderful dinner parties with Michael at his home uh, and other guests like Bartlett Brando, people like that. Uh, I was The ranch was open to me to come and go whenever I wanted to. Uh, I was the only person given permission by Norma Stikos at MJJ Productions to bring my personal camera inside Neverland. Uh, incredible honor that I never abused to take photographs of our work to document what Michael was doing as he created his Neverland dream. And... Uh, I never signed in or out or anything when I came and went and I could stay as long as I want. One time I took my current, the wife that was current then, uh, out there for two week vacation. I mean, that's the kind of relationship we had and enjoy the, uh, the, uh, features and activity, horseback riding in the park and stuff like that. We, we would talk, hours on the phone about different rides and what his dream was for bringing these children up there, especially like Make-A-Wish Foundation and share things with them that they had never seen and experience things they'd never experienced. And you know, our focus was to accommodate, especially the handicapped, terminally ill and underprivileged children so many of the rides we put in were specially modified for Michael so he could put handicapped children on them, even wheelchairs, like the train and the carousel had wheelchair accommodations. And uh, we started in June of 1990, and we opened the first phase, inaugurated on evening of October 31st, 1990. And Michael never quit. After that, he just kept adding and adding and adding. I think eventually he put in 18 rides up there. No one wants to talk about the carrying side of Michael Jackson. This is the thing. And, oh. uh, and how many, I know roughly what he told me, but uh, how many thousand children do you think would pass through Neverland? And I make a wish foundation. Tens make- of thousands. Tens of thousands. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was bringing busloads of them up there, especially on Fridays, inner city children from uh, East LA. And I'd see him out there in his backyard. He had put, mounds out there covered with grass so they go out there and roll on these mounds and could have water balloon fights out there and then we put in the the he had the water uh the water fort where we put like a water balloon launcher and water cannons so they go out there and have water fights and stuff like that he was fascinated with that kind of stuff and uh i mean his imagination 
he used to get me with the guns, Nerf guns, it was like the, whole, the water guns, you know, the ones that back yeah. in 2000, and I used to come out of the hotel and he used to squirt me, get me completely saturated. I think it was yeah. hilarious, you know. I get the other bodyguards. He was driving so, around his golf cart there at the ranch with one of those go mine employees and just soak him and just right off laughing, laughing. <laughs> the, the other thing, too, Rob, as well, is as a friend of his, I understand and, and, and I, I get it. The public may not understand, and I don't, we'll get to Larry in a second, they'll be able to expand on it. That they, when you're at Neverland, people think, oh, he's meeting all the kids, oh, he's out there all the time, he's on the amusement. No. You, you hardly saw the guy. The yeah. guy the guy was a reclusive because, yeah. unfortunately, he was so famous, even staff would have want to speak to him. And, and, and although they're not supposed to, to tell their friends, we spoke to Michael, I spoke to Michael Jackson near the fairground right today, and so on. There was a few people who had privileges, like yourself and Big Al, and, and so on. I don't know if he likes being called Big Al, does he? But that's what he's known for. And because uh, he's very connected to the fans. But there was, you, you would rarely see him. And when I would go there, you see him at dinner time and stuff, and you could get him on the phone. He was quite happy just to be in his private space in his bedroom and just let one go. He didn't come out and spend all this time with all the kids and things. And, and do you know what he said to me once about his children? He limited Prince and Paris. And obviously, Blanca was a baby then, to access to the fat ground ride. Only so many hours per week were they allowed. So right. they had some kind of normality. They, could, they just wouldn't go on all the fairground rides and around on the go karts whenever they want. They had a couple of hours per week. He was very strict on them on that case, you know. And, yep. But he was, it was built out of his care to help people. I know no one wants to talk about that, but he's not sitting around and going on fairground rides all day long. Nor is he, which people see this, this program is trying to project, project, Michael Jackson Zoo, nor is he mucking out the animals and knowing what's going on all the time. He, oh. he, it was for him to go down and spend time. He used to say to me, animals are the only people he could trust because they didn't talk behind his back and didn't screw him over, and he trusted them. But he paid, he paid a lot of people to manage those animals yes. and paid managers to manage it for him. Yeah. He, he's busy writing music dancing, rehearsing, in your era, Dangerous Tour, I'd imagine. And you'll see him coming in and out from the Dangerous Tour. Michael Jack, we used to have this running joke, me and Mark Lester. It costs a lot of money to, and I won't disclose it, but it's like, you know, Rob, how much it would cost to run Neverland. Oh, but God. he, would, he oh. was never at Neverland. He was never at Neverland. He was on tour, he was busy with music, he was in LA, and he didn't like the drive from the city to the valley because it's a long way and it's bad roads, Rob, and it's... Uh, he didn't like helicopters too much. He wasn't a big fan of them. But he was quite comfortable in the hotel. So people think, oh, it's Michael Jackson's home and it's strange he's busting all these kids in and there's a zoo there. No, it's, it's, it's one of many homes that he had. Right. Uh, and, and he found it hard to settle there. But that, that was not a private zone by any means, was it, Rob? I mean, uh, going to you go into some detail on the, how vast and large it is. And also his house is quite modest, I must add. And then Larry, you, I, I guess you've seen when we talk, they talk about his bedroom, kids stay in his bedroom because we have to address it. I don't want to avoid the subject. I mean, that bedroom is a two-story thing. That's the size of like it's, it's right. double the size of a normal house in England, right? And, and 
Sorry, 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 let you speak. Right, right. sure. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, I was asked to document Neverland and I had free reign to go anywhere I wanted at Neverland, uh, including his bedroom. So I, I went to the bedroom. There is the upstairs bedroom area. Uh, when I was there, he had a, a, a cradle right next to the bed uh, for blanket at the time, which showed what a doting father he was. Uh, but then there was the downstairs part of the bedroom with the arcade games and all types of things, different bathrooms in the in the master suite and so forth. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, you say uh, that he said that animals were the only ones he could trust. And maybe that was correct. <laughs> I, I think secondarily, he felt he could trust kids more than grownups. But in the long run, it turns out kids turned on him, too, mainly because their parents were behind the kids turning on them. Anyway, uh, any specific questions? Are you, I, I just Would you describe that as a normal bedroom to a house, Larry? Hey, would it no. be abnormal for him to stay in there all day and hang out and have his privacy? Right. Certainly, uh, he'd have uh, everything he needed in his bedroom suite. Uh, when I went to Neverland, and I was there off and on for a month in uh, 2005, uh, I never actually saw Michael. Uh, he was apparently on the premises, but I believe he was staying in one of the guest cottages where uh, Elizabeth Taylor or Marlon Brando stayed. And my understanding was he he was so upset by how the the sheriffs ripped apart his bedroom, his his uh, <laughs> the mattresses and and everything. And there's photos of it that even the sheriffs took of them just kind of ripping things apart, looking for incriminating things, which they didn't find. Um, but at that time, uh, he then stayed in the guest room. He just couldn't face going back to his bedroom, apparently. But, you know, he was just, you know, he's a child at heart. And uh, I was too. And that's probably one of the reasons we bonded so well. And... Uh, you, you know, one thing I saw in the bedroom, um, there were a lot of uh, VHS tapes and DVDs. But in addition to that, there were lots and lots of books in the bedroom. And Michael was a voracious reader. And one of the things the sheriffs were looking for apparently was pornography. Right. And Michael had something like 20,000 books. And all they could come up with was a couple of art books that had some nudes in them, like all art books do. Uh, so it, it was really sad how they tried to paint Michael in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, I mean that paints the picture of how caring is and what Neverland was really about. Let's get into the zoo, if you can even call it a zoo. What would you describe it as? <laughs> well, so when I was hired to document Neverland, I certainly knew of Michael. I, I wasn't, I enjoyed his music. I wasn't a big fan. I've since become a fan knowing, learning about him and knowing what an incredible person he was. But so uh, I was given free reign to roam around the property and film it. And the zoo, it certainly wasn't like a zoo in a city, which a, a big, huge place. It was a kind of a confined area. It was very well kept up and buildings and outdoor areas. Um, and I saw the llamas and the giraffes and the large cats and elephant. But uh, it, it was called a zoo and maybe even had a sign Neverland Zoo, but uh, it wasn't a huge zoo. So, Rob, why did you take part in this documentary? Let's just let's hit that on that. Let me, let me add to the zoo comment. Michael's employees kept that zoo immaculate. You, it didn't smell like a zoo and animals when you went up there. 
and he had things for the visitors to interact with. I know when, when Norman took me up there at the first time, there was a stairway you could climb up on the top of it and look eye to eye with Jabbar if you want, you know, graffiti. Yeah, the giraffe if you wanted to, and things like that. That he had, he wanted interaction. So, how did they reach out to you, Rob? And how did this production company convince you this was good for Michael Jackson? What in, was your, uh, in August, yeah, in August of uh, last year, Harry Reid Davies, Harry D Davies, with uh, Rare TV, had contacted me, and he had read my memoir, Maker of Dreams. Because of the for good fortune of, of taking all those beautiful photographs, they became the basis of my memoir. And, uh, he, you know, he had wanted to know if I would be interested in this wonderful new documentary about Michael and the Neverland Zoo. And, oh, how positive it would be. Because uh, that, you know, just warmed my heart because I know how wonderful it was. And I know stories about it, and I know people that work there, and I know their stories and their interaction with Michael's animals, like Mark and another friend of mine had told me about how Michael would go up to the zoo at the far end of the zoo. There was a big granite boulder up there, <clears throat> and that's where Kemba was, the lion. And Michael felt Kemba was lonely. So he'd go up and sit on that big granite boulder. I'm getting goosebumps telling you this. And he would sing a cappella to Kimba to keep him comfortable, comfortable. And Kimba would come up and lay next to the cave, the screen. And Michael could reach through and pet Kimba. I mean, he was so bonded with these animals. It was just, it was beautiful. And I mean, if you can visualize this, Michael sitting there on this granite stone, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And how they can take a person like that and to turn it into something ugly. It just, it it's just. You, you get upset, Rob, because I, you've had to witness so much over your, your friend like I have over the years, and we know the truth. But there's, it's very hard to get the truth out there because it gets twisted and people get tricked into doing these, these interviews and you were clearly tricked.